Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin. Uh, there are several announcements in there that you'll be able to keep up with and follow along. Uh, if you'll turn to the inside, you'll see the, some of the announcements that are there on the inside of the cover. And uh, we just want to uh, keep you informed with the events that are coming up. Now, we know a lot of people are traveling and vacationing and, and in and out this month while we're preparing for the new school year for many to start. So uh, the end of summer is coming fast. So we're praying for you. If you keep us informed, we'll continue to pray for your family as you travel and, and go places that you'll return safely. But while you're here, we do have Sunday school going on, and we appreciate everyone who's stepping in to help in our Sunday school classes, especially our children's classes as assistants. We do have some new charts up on the wall. Let me explain those quickly. If you go downstairs on our children's room, it just says teacher and assistants. It's not meant to be difficult. And what it is for the children is many times some of you may say, well, what week do you need me? What week do you need help with? And so as those fill in, you can just walk right by the room. Or if you're here visiting and you have your grandchildren or someone with you and you want to know who's teaching, it'll be listed right there on the door for that week. But at least you'll be able to see what weeks we need as we go along. So be patient with us as we get it started. We'll type it in and fill it in as people write things in there. Uh, but if you're interested in what week we need, hopefully as we go forward in the future, you can just look on the room, see the week that's necessary, and continue to help us. It's a great way to not only help, but to also get experience and get to know the children uh, as we go forward. Also, you'll see uh, the men's fall study kickoff on Saturday, August 12th. That's really the Baconator event. Men, we have our breakfast this coming Saturday. Uh, it is the time that we don't kick off the Bible study. We hand out books. We go over things. We'll have an intro and some time to go over it. But we don't start the Bible study until the Wednesday after Labor Day. So when we do the kickoff, it's just our last summer Baconator breakfast. Come enjoy the fellowship. We'll hand out books if you don't have the books, and we'll go forward from there. But please, if you have any questions, you can always call Scott. Uh, he helps us head that up. And if you need a book and you don't think you've ordered one, we still have some, but we want to make sure we have enough for everybody. So men, hopefully this Saturday we'll have all that ready to, to hand out and be a part. And then our youth camping trip is there. Our, our youth interns are coming to a close. I think they've only got about a week left. Uh, it's been a blessing to have them uh, through the summer and to have Zach and Sarah working with our young people and preparing the Sunday nights. And you may not know it, but they met during the weeks and scheduled times for the girls and the guys. And uh, this is a camping trip up and coming. But just continue to pray for them. I know Sarah will be returning not long uh, back to Clemson, I believe, for her senior year. And uh, Zach has his senior year at seminary in Baltimore. And so both of them will be doing their last year in many ways before they decide what the next step the Lord has for them. And so they've been a real blessing for us this summer. Uh, but as we close the summer, please, if you have uh, questions or things that are planned, please let us know. Uh, the session didn't meet this past week, so we'll either reschedule or we'll meet the third Sunday of the month. Um, but if you have any questions for us or you plan on joining or would like to be a part of the church, please let me know ahead of time. And we schedule those usually on Sundays now. We try to use Sunday as the session to focus on prayer and sharing about our families. So if you haven't heard from your elder or have been in contact with your elder, please let me know. And I'll follow up to make sure they have contact and, and who it is that's on their list so that they'll be able to continue praying and reaching out to you. So lots going on, but we appreciate your patience through the summer. We know it's going fast. We hope you've enjoyed it. We look forward to the fall as we move forward quickly. But we want to welcome everyone. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to fill out a visitor card, please fill one out. And you can either put it in the offering plate or put it on the back table in the foyer. And we'll get that. And I'll be glad to contact you or uh, get up with you to help and serve your family any way we can. But also, let me remind you again on the back is a prayer request. Please know that you can also fill that out. You don't have to be a visitor to use the prayer card. Uh, anybody can use that and fill it out, put it in the offering plate. They'll put it on my desk. If you want something in the bulletin, you can write on that blue card, yes, put it in the bulletin. But folks, we'll still contact you first. We don't put anything in there that you don't tell us. And the other thing is, please don't give us a private prayer request. Uh, one time I had a note on my desk that said, please pray for me, but this is private, don't tell anyone. 
But folks, when you put that in the offering plate, I can't tell you how many people have seen it before it gets to me. So please know if it is something that's private, call my cell phone, put it on my desk, or come to me personally. Um, but if it's not private, then it'll get to me anyway, and I'll be glad to pray for you. But if it's something private, please know, please don't put it in the offering plate or just leave it in the open. Um, I'm sure people are trustworthy and would get it to me, uh, but if you're wanting it to be private, the best way to do that is just bring it to me or call me, and I'll be glad to meet with you. Uh, but other than that, let's begin this morning, if I can. The meditation gives us a chance from Ian Bounds in his book on prayer. Before I pray, he says this, the unfailing remedy for all our burdensome, distressing care is prayer. It is the place where the Lord is at hand. There he is always found. He is there to bless, deliver, and help. It is in prayer that the Lord's presence and power are more fully realized than any other place. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for listening, for giving us the opportunity to be in your presence, for perfecting us with your Son's righteousness in our lives. Lord, here this morning as we come to worship, we simply ask that you'll open our hearts and minds, that we might be willing to be molded and shaped by what it is your word has for us. Help us to know that all the conflicts that arise can be solved in a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us as we worship you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, join with me as we do the call to worship. If you'll stand uh, before we sing, this is the day the Lord has made. The call to worship is responsive, and so I will read the light print if you'll join me in the bold print. Sing for joy in the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. And you may be seated, and let's take a moment. Keep your bullets announced so that we can share together in our confession of faith. Uh, it happens this morning that in the Lord's design that as we preach through Mark on the Lord of the Sabbath, we get a chance not by choice to read these words on the given to us in the Westminster Confession, its larger, larger catechism on the fourth commandment. And so let's take a moment. I'll read the light print. If you'll join me in confessing our faith, dealing with the fourth commandment. What is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Question 116 says, well, what does the fourth commandment require? The fourth commandment requires all men to sanctify or set apart to God the times he has established in his word and specifically one whole day out of every seven. This was the seventh day from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, and the first day of the week ever since. It will continue that way until the end of the world. This is the Christian Sabbath in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. If you're wondering where that's found, turn to the book of Acts, and we switch to the Lord's Day. We celebrate the resurrection, the first day of the week, but it's when the disciples met together to worship, pray, and to break bread was the first day of the week. We call that the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. Question 7, 117 says, well, how do we keep the Sabbath or the Lord's Day holy? We keep the Sabbath or the Lord's Day holy by resting the whole day, not just from doing things that are inherently sinful at any time. 
but even from worldly affairs and recreations that are lawful on other days, except for necessary works or acts of mercy, we should joyfully spend all our time publicly and privately worshiping God. To that end, we must prepare our hearts and carefully plan so that our worldly business is taken care of beforehand in order that we may more readily spend the day the way God requires. Wow, as we spend a moment praying for us, I know your heart and mine as we read through that realize just how much the world has pressured us into doing things, accepting things, and actually promoting things that go against that day God has given us. So let's take a moment. Let me pray for our congregation, and then if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer. It's inside your hymnal if you need that, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you thanking you for the truth, the Scriptures. Lord, we thank you that we're not bound by anything else but the words that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the divines, the Westminster divines. We thank you for the many confessions outside the confession of faith that we have. Lord, we pray that not only through the Westminster, but through the Belgic, through the Helvetic, through the teachings and trainings throughout the centuries, that, Lord, we would not let the man-made traditions and the teachings that are accompanied to and attached to your truths become the things that shape and form our lives. Lord, let them help us see the importance of that truth. Let them be teachings to help us understand those truths. But, Lord, more than anything else, we want to obey those truths. Lord, we want to obey them because your son, he too, obeyed you perfectly. He came and gave his life a ransom so that all of us, your children, could be saved. Lord, this morning we just thank you that he not only saved us, but he heals us, he cares for us, and he watches over us. Each and every one of us in our own way, in our own needs, Lord, you provide. This morning, whatever it is, whatever the provision someone needs this morning, Lord, let it not come from our traditions from our own teachings, but Lord, from your truths, convict our hearts to help be the ones you use to minister to them, that we might further your kingdom as well. For Lord, we know you reached down from heaven for us, opened the veil, and made it possible that we could come together as a body and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would continue looking in your bulletin there, let's take a moment for this glorious Christ who has come and opened that way for us, we now come to confess and to share together that we are all sinners. We are all in need, but yet we have the place to come. So if you would pray this confession of sin with me. Most merciful God, you have promised forgiveness to all of us who confess and forsake our sins through Jesus Christ. We come before you confessing our many transgressions of your righteous laws. We have done those things we should not have done, and we have neglected doing what we should have done. O oh, gracious Father, forgive us all our sins. Make us feel deeply the great evil of our sinfulness. Work in us a true repentance, that we may always obtain forgiveness at your hand, for you are ever ready to receive us who repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our only Savior and Redeemer. Amen. And from Psalm 130, it's simply, Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He will redeem us from all our sins. What a blessing we have that we can come to him, speak to him, 
and let him heal us. And so let's prepare our hearts for the message as we sing together, Speak, O Lord. I hope you brought your Bibles with you so that you could turn with me to Mark as we continue studying through Mark's gospel. It's a fast-paced gospel, we know that, and this morning we're dealing with the questions of the Sabbath, and I know all of you are just wondering, what is this guy going to say about me? What is he going to talk to about Sundays? If I asked you to raise your hand, if any of you did any recreation on Sunday, as the divines write it, let me just ask. Let's just take a poll. How many of you do recreation on Sunday? Oh, we have a bunch of liars. Oh, we do. We have a bunch of people hiding. Depends on how you interpret it, I know, and I'll be honest with you, when recreation is used even in the ordination vows of our seminary students and pastors, you have the right as a confession of faith to take what's known as some exceptions. And the reason they allow that is because the confessions of faith are not Scripture. I tease the deacons when we're training about the constitution of our church, the elders that came through it. Our constitution consists of the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechisms and the book of church order. Those are our constitution of our church. And the question always comes for young leaders, teachers, well, how come the Bible is not part of the constitution of our church? How come it is that the Presbyterian Church in America has a constitution that does not include the Bible? And the simple answer is because the constitution can be changed. And the Bible what? Cannot. The Bible in the Presbyterian Church is not open for debate. It's not open for popular vote. We don't put it before congregations and ask which parts they want to change. We change the BCO as needed, and we allow exceptions throughout the confession. Believe it or not, your pastor took an exception to the quote on the Lord's Day about recreation on the Sabbath. They still accepted me. They allowed me to come. But for many of the pastors, they don't even include that now because the recreation was intended, we believe, to be all the worldly forms and demands that are put on people, not the family time that you spend enhancing time together with your children or your family or things that would include uh, in that merciful role. So this morning, I'm going to challenge you in great ways, but I do want you to know that over the centuries, our conscience should be bound by Scripture more than anything else. And so this morning, you're going to be challenged greatly with the truths of Scriptures, not traditions. We confess our faith, but we come in obedience to the Scriptures. We can accept some of the changes we may have according to our Constitution, but if there's any difference between us and Scripture, what should happen? We should change. And so this morning... I'm telling you, here in Mark, the end of chapter 2, Jesus is now being confronted more and more by the religious leaders. He's being pursued by some of them. The crowds are following him. There's something that separates the Jews from everybody else. I could give you those very quickly if you want to know as the story unfolds. What separated the Jews from everybody was this Sabbath day and circumcision, that began to separate them from the other peoples. And so when all of a sudden Jesus challenges the authority of the Sabbath day in the presence of religious leaders, that's why we have conflict. This morning I want to talk to you about several conflicts that arise when Jesus addresses life on the Sabbath. Bear with me as I read, beginning in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. 
the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It continues, in our Bible it's a new chapter, but in the text it says, And so he entered a synagogue again, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might put him to death. A conflict brewing, ready to come to a head, because now all of a sudden the Sabbath, which is the heart of the separation of the Jewish people along with circumcision, is now being confronted it's been seen as part of their separation is rooted in the order of creation in the universe. Folks, the Sabbath didn't start with the Mosaic law. It started back in the creation with God. Clear back in the beginning of the time, God's the one that established the day. He's the one that put it into place. And now we have someone challenging its authority. And maybe you this morning realize that some of these things that were happening were wrong for them to do. First of all, there was conflict with these rules and traditions. Keep that in mind here. Why? Because it says in verse 23 and 24 that they were going through picking grain. Well, folks, you go back to Deuteronomy 23. I'll let you read it. But you were allowed to go through and pick the grain. You were allowed to glean and to take from the others that had excess. Go back and read the, the, the rules of it. They were just mad because he was doing it on what? The Sabbath. In other words, you're allowed to steal from somebody, just don't steal on the Sabbath. See, the rules didn't make sense. Some of the traditions and the things that were expounded on by the scribes and the Pharisees over time to try to help make the laws of God applicable, present to the people, actually became hindrances and sometimes senseless. So they were mad because they were gleaning these grains, which they were allowed to do, but they were doing it on the Sabbath. And of course, that was then considered work. And you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath either. And so all of a sudden, we begin to ask ourselves, where is this conflict with rules and what's happening? They were traveling, and according to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious authorities, go back and read the Old Testament and all of the scribes' writings. There's hundreds and thousands of them. They do explanations of the text of the law. And one of the biggest ways that you could find yourself in trouble with the rules is to do any traveling on a Sabbath day. More than 1,800 paces would put you in complete defiance against God. 1,800 steps. How many of you walked from your car to get in the building? It's amazing how the rules went on. The, the reaping of the grain, all of this. Go back to the law. Those things were allowed. It just wasn't in the timing of the Sabbath, in the traditions of the scribes. Conflict comes many times not over the scriptures, but over our interpretations and traditions of the scriptures. Parents, we've said this before. Jesus is once again in conflict with the rules. Parents, we all have rules. And we have rules, and the children ask why. I don't understand why I have to do that. We have said that many a times before. Children, I'll give you a little bit of hint. You do it because your parents tell you to do it. But parents, your rules 
should be ways to form and fashion the understandings of scriptures and relationship with God, not just because you want it. Let's put some validity behind what it is we want. Are the things in our life and the things we want actually part of the things God wants? You see, he's beginning to challenge these people, and so this rising tide of conflict to the rabbis Supposed to fine-tune the Sabbath and all the things that happened so that you would know whether or not you broke the laws all of a sudden become the focus. And the Sabbath day is no longer a day of rest, but a day of burden. Oh, I've been there as your pastor many a times when Sunday becomes a day that is binding rather than freeing my conscience. What songs are we going to sing Who's going to pass out the Lord's Supper? I wonder who's going to take up the offering this morning. I wonder if they're going to show up for Sunday school class. I wonder who's got the teachers. I wonder if the sound team's going to be here. I wonder if we have a security team today. I wonder, folks, for the hundreds of volunteers and the things that now happen on Sunday for worship, if we were to strip everything but just coming to worship, I wonder what would happen to our consciences. But our Sundays, our Sabbaths, for many of us, have become work. How many of you sometimes dread going to church? We tried to do a picnic last week. I thank everyone who came. It was a blessing. But even in having a picnic, when you're supposed to bring your own meal, clean up your own stuff, and provide your own things... There's always someone looking around to see if somebody else provided the things that might be necessary that you forgot. There's always someone that we're counting on doing the work for us. How about those of you who plan your work week ahead? I wonder if the rules and the reason they were frustrated is not because it's wrong to work and wrong to walk and wrong to be prepared, but how many of you spend, don't raise your hands, I'm not asking you to nudge people, but how many of you spend Sunday evenings prepping the entire week? Why could that not have been done on Fridays, Saturdays? Why does Sunday have to become the day? I'm not telling you you're wrong. Please don't hear your pastor say you're sinful. That's not what I'm saying. But we live in a world today where the things of mercy and grace are the things that should be accomplished. You hear it all the time. Every time we go out to eat on Sunday, it's because we're asking other people to serve those days. Every time we experience recreation in sports, folks, they're family times and they're together I thought about it one day when I was frustrated because I think I told you our team won the championship. Did I tell you that, by the way? I thought I did. No, I was frustrated because of the tire season that we played is we paid the fees and we bought the shirts and we bought the shorts and we had to come up with the fields and we had to come up with the goals and even when we played the games, we had to come up with the refs. People used to ask, well, what in the world are we paying for? And when those refs would get out on the field myself included at times, yelling at them, frustrated with calls. You know what the number one problem with every recreation league in America is today? Is we don't have enough referees. And yet we expect them to be there on Sundays at 10 a.m. to ref our kids' games. Wow. Wow. I wonder what the divines were thinking when they were talking about recreation on the Sabbath, when our recreation would actually change the lives of others so that we could enjoy things that we don't have a problem with. All of a sudden, the rules, the traditions, isn't the only conflict. There's another conflict, and it comes with the reference in Scripture. Let me give you a little depth here. When the Mark is quoting what Jesus is saying, you know, the words of Jesus are in red. You got that, right? That didn't happen that way in the original. Those are the things people think happened. But when Mark is telling us the story of the words that Jesus is using and he quotes the time of David, what he was really saying is this. Man, haven't you guys read your Bible? You can imagine how they felt as religious authorities. 
when they're accusing him of something, and he, Jesus turns and, according to Mark, says, haven't you read your Bibles in the time when, during the time of the priests, when, and listen to what he says, that Abiathar the high priest gave them the bread. Folks, that wasn't Abiathar. You can go back to Samuel, and for those of you who did your study, that wasn't the priest that was there. But if you look at other references that we have, even in Mark's Gospels, Jesus isn't referring to just one person or what Mark is saying. He's referring to the time in which was popular. It was actually his son, if you wish to say that, that was in, in charge. It was actually the one that was the high priest. But it was the whole rise of power in the time of David. So some people have a conflict even with the references of Scripture, you know how I many people would say to themselves, I'm not going to believe in the Bible. There's contradictions in there. But they've never taken the time to go back and look it up and to realize that he was priest. It was his son as high priest. It was in the same time period of David in which David was now coming into the temple to get those things. It was in the time of Abiathar, the one well known. But now we have a conflict because today there are those people that are saying, well, I can't trust in a Bible that has errors and contradictions. One person says there's 144,000 soldiers and another one says there's only 14,000. Some spelled the name of Abiathar different than someone else spelled Abiathar. And all of a sudden we realize that, folks, we fight many times the truths that we want to resist and run from. We find ways to find conflict so that we don't have to change. Jesus was looking right back to them and saying, not about whether or not it was the one high priest and whether or not it was the exact day. Mark's giving us the reference that the conflict goes back to the scripture references because the scribes and the rulers and the, and the religious authorities were twisting the truths of scripture. We were allowed to pick grain. We are allowed to help those that are in need. He even twisted and says, is it not right to do good? Is it not lawful? We're even told on a Sunday, if your horse falls in the ditch, well, then let's get that out. Folks, I don't know anybody whose wife goes into labor on the Sabbath day that the husband says, hold on, just a few more hours, hon. Hold on. We don't want a sinful baby. That's not true. But in some cases, the law becomes the truth for us and binds our conscience. And we stop doing mercy and grace in helping those in need. What would you do if you could take the time that you use on Sunday and exchange it for mercy and grace to help others? How many of you could make a list of some people that you'd like to visit? Maybe some shut-ins that we haven't seen. Maybe some families that are hurting. Those that are going through rehabilitation. Let me go down the list. It's amazing what our Sundays could be used with for. But you don't have to worry about that. The pastor will do that. The sessions got that. The deacons will catch that. And therefore, Sundays don't matter. We can do what we want. You see, that's why it became a conflict. It was a conflict with the rules, but it was a conflict with the references to Scripture because when Scripture does speak, the only way we can disobey it is to try to find ways to discredit it, to try to find the mistakes or to try to find why it's not applicable to us. I was speaking with Zach this past week as we mentor as he goes through seminary, and one of the hardest things is the interpretation of Scripture. He's working through a class, and how do you interpret things and be consistent? Do we let Scripture interpret Scripture? Do we let the texts that are clear help us with the texts that are unclear? Do we stay within exegesis to let it speak out, or do we eisegete and read into it? He asked me, he said, Jerry, if I could tell the people in the class, the assignment was, how do we fault ourselves in interpreting Scripture? You know what the biggest one is? We let culture determine the truths before we ever start reading. It's called eisegesis. We let the culture of the text. It is very truthful to allow the text to be interpreted in its culture so that we can pull out its truths. But it's not wrong or it's not right to say that the Bible was only meant for that culture. 
And so when we find a text that is hard to understand, rather than turning to someone outside of Scripture for an answer, we ought to look for the texts that make it even more clear. So we let Scripture interpret Scripture. One of the biggest ones is science. And let me tell you, I love science. Please don't hear me wrong. But did you know those who love science and don't believe in God look at the same facts as I look at who do believe in God? It's not the facts that change. We both look at the same findings. We both look at the same archaeological digs. We both look at the same animals. We both look at the same changes. The difference is the presupposition of what you start with. Do the things I find actually verify the truths of Scripture? Or do I intentionally try to use them to discredit the things of Scripture? Huge difference on religious authority. So the conflict rises. Why? Because now Jesus, who's going back to David, they're missing the point. See, the point was in the time of David. Do you remember the whole reference was that Jesus was the son of David? But he was also the what? Lord of David. And here he's asking these guys who are supposed to be the knowledge ones of Scripture, saying, look, don't you realize what I'm referencing to you? That I am the one that has the authority, I, the son of David, and also the one who is the Lord of David? Go back and read your Scriptures. It's through David that the Messiah comes. It's through David that true rest comes. It's through David that all of the Sabbath and its rests were pointed to. If the Sabbath day wasn't truly necessary... Why does every writer of the New Testament refer to it and Jesus himself claim it? I wonder if it's still necessary today. What rest do we look for? It wasn't just a conflict of rules and references. It's the conflict with the relationship of law and the gospel. Look what it says in verse 27 and 28. Here's how it gets even difficult. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And listen to how he phrases it. The son of man is Lord. And then he says this, even of the Sabbath. If you were to look at it in the Greek, the word kurios, which is very seldom used by Mark, is the word that's put at the first of the sentence. It actually would say things not like the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. It would say, and even the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord himself is the leader of the Sabbath. The focus is on the Lord, not the Sabbath. The focus is on who Jesus is, who is the Lord of David, the Son of David, who is the one over the Sabbath. You see, we miss the truths, and now the, the conflict comes with law and gospel. Here's, here's what I mean. You have those that are what we call antinomiasts. Do you know what that means? It's those who say the laws are no longer good because Jesus has come and we just live by grace. And anytime you want to bring up something, oh, we don't live by that anymore, we live by what Jesus is. Jesus is it. And then you have those who are legalists. you know who they are? We know that Jesus came, but the laws are still more important. We live by the letter of the law. And what Jesus did, what he put us right in the middle, and he simply said, look, I'm the son of David, and yet I'm the Lord of David. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was designed so that we would have rest in many ways. It was designed so that, if you wish to say this, our animals could rest, our land could rest, our bodies could rest, our minds could rest. It was designed to give us a time that all could be put in perspective so that things wouldn't wear out, get bitter. All of a sudden, we realize now that the rabbis, the religious leaders, have now put chains on us because the Sabbath day was now more feared than it was revered. If I don't go to church on Sunday, everybody's going to ask me where I was. Sometimes Sunday now is more a restriction than a blessing. It is between you and the Lord. All of a sudden we realize when Jesus is telling us it's the gift for us. Sunday worship all of a sudden can become such a chore if we're not careful. We too need to follow the pattern so that on the Lord's day we rest. 
Give yourself a break and think about the grace and mercy God gave to you when he gave you the Sabbath. Just think of the blessing that God had for you when he graciously said, you should rest. But the biggest conflict is with the religious leaders. It's not just over the rules. No, that's not true. It's not just over the uh, references to Scripture. No, we get to the heart of the matter when all of a sudden we realize here the conflict is with the religious authorities. Look at verse 1 and 2. They healed this man with a withered hand. It's shriveled, it's withered, it's shortened, it's tightened up. It's the Greek word zeranine. It's the word that means all of those, probably one that is withered up, pulled together tight. Something has happened to his hand. But he uses some words that are very important to us because it says here that they were watching him closely. Highlight that in your Bibles. That's the word paraterun. It's the Greek word that indicates that they were hanging in suspense. They were waiting for the opportunity. They were spying out a chance. They just were wanting to see him do something so they could get him. Do you ever feel like that as a Christian? Sometimes we feel like that in our own homes. Sometimes we feel like that in our jobs, even in our churches. They were hanging out, the conflict there, when all of a sudden they're just looking to catch him so that he could say something, that they could go and get him. See, from this moment on with the Herodians, Jesus lives in the shadow of the crucifixion. From this moment on, they're beginning to scheme ways with authorities that everything that could be used could be used together to trap Jesus, to get rid of this guy, and to hinder these crowds from gathering and going against their traditions. From this moment on, he lives in the light of being crucified and where are you in your life just what decisions are in the hanging right now just what decisions need to be made that people are watching and waiting to see if you're truly Christian so they can base their life on your decision rather than on Scripture. Oh, verses 3 and 4 tells us, when he asks this, he says, is it wrong? Listen to what he says. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. He said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Folks, come on. To not do good when good needs to be done, there's no such thing as neutrality. To watch someone who is suffering and cannot help themselves and you to stand by and watch is evil. There is no neutrality in that. You can't watch the hungry go without eating. You can't watch the homeless go without shelter. You can't watch those who are being tortured, abused, to go into the pain without relieving them of that. You can't watch the children of God suffer and just stay neutral. Forget the Sabbath is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Forget the question, folks. It's right. It's just to do good all the time. It's not God's giving us the one day we should do good. Just who is it in your life that you're neglecting, that you're walking by, that you're treating differently, that you just don't see the true need? They've deserved it. They've created the situation. Someone else will take care of it. We don't need to bother with that. We don't need to get too involved. That could take too much time. I could just go down the list of how it's more important for us to be in church and to learn to be right than to go out and do right. 
the question of theological orthodoxy or moral purity is not defined in an abstract way. When someone asks if you love God, can you show them? When someone asks if God is real, can you not demonstrate that? It's not abstract. It's concrete truths. Theological and behavioral or morally responsibility is the hardest part in our lives to overcome. Putting them together, whether it's good or evil. Listen to the analogy when he says, is it good to be lawful to do harm? And he says this, or to save a life or kill. Who do you think he's actually talking about? I'm here trying to do good to help somebody, and here you're making men's to kill somebody. See, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders missed it again. Here, they're scheming up a way to kill somebody, and they're worried about someone picking grain. They're worried about someone helping a withered hand, and here they're putting together a whole army with the Herodians on the Sabbath. See, it was wrong for others to do things on the Sabbath, but it wasn't wrong for who? Them. And how many times have we done the same thing in our own lives, to our own children, to our own workers? It's wrong to do things if it applies to someone else. But it's different when it applies to who? To me. All of a sudden we realize the three words that Jesus only uses, Mark only uses, I'm sorry, right here. Never again in the gospel does he bring up these words. Anger and grieved and the hardness of their hearts. For someone who is more in tune with their rules, their religious references, and their religious authority, Jesus is grieved, angry. The actual word, metagris, that is used here is the word for fury. It's not a righteous anger in the sense that we've used before. It's fury. How can you look at someone in need and be neutral? How can you look at someone who you could help and not do it? That's not neutrality. That's evil, regardless of the day. And all of a sudden, he begins to realize the greatest enemy to divine love is this word that we get for porosai, or the word that is used for an unwilling or stubborn heart. It is actually the words that are used for minerals that are hardened and create bone or stone. Jesus looks at these religious authorities, and he said, this is evil because your hearts are like minerals that are becoming stone. And if you're not careful, I will tell you this. Turn a deaf ear, close a blind eye, and turn a cheek the other way just one too many times and watch what happens to your heart. It gets hard and becomes the enemy to divine love because then you will no longer want to help, want to do right, and want to love. Yes, Jesus is not acting out of the poles, personal consequences that he faces, He's acting out of the truth of who he is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who loves you. He's the one who made you. Because to be Lord of the Sabbath is to claim equality with God. And God is the one that created you. God is the one that loves you. And Jesus didn't just give you the time, didn't just give you the things you needed. He gave you his whole life. In the shadow of the Herodians, 
Oh, before we take the Lord's Supper, let me just tell you how evil things get. Because the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders would never work with those guys. The people who stood up against Herod in all that he wanted in the Roman and Greek Hellenization periods, for those who were bucking all of the worldly rule and the oppression it applied to the people, have now gotten so mad at Jesus they're buddying up with their own enemies just to defeat someone else. Now, please, I'm not in this for a political reason. But since this is government with Herod, and these are the religious leaders making laws, you want to know how this would compare to today? It would be no different than when the Republicans join together with the Democrats just so they can defeat the Independents. And yet they have nothing in common with each other. But let's put us together just to make sure someone else can't. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. I'll even team up with the worldly leaders just to make sure Jesus dies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Cleanse us, Lord, as we prepare to commune together. Help us to realize that our conflict should be with the Scriptures. The conflict because it tells us we are sinners. It tells us we're in need. It's the Scriptures that tell us we're dying. It's the Scriptures that tell us we're going to hell without your sovereign mercy and grace. It's the Scriptures that tell us there's only one who can save us. It's the scriptures that tell us it's your son, Jesus Christ. It's the scriptures that so many want to twist, to change, and to misreference. Father, this morning, forgive us. Help us to look at the truths, overcome our traditions, and actually start living completely and according to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to move together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you've never been with us as we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, let me start by just saying this is something that we commune together with as Christians. If you are a Christian, you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you have asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've confessed that there's no other way to get to heaven but through him. Jesus says that if you'll confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you have never made a confession of faith, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, whether you're a child that's grown up in the home and never done it, or you're a visitor that's never had the opportunity, I would ask that as we take the Lord's Supper, you just let it pass. But I would also remind those of you who are Christians that you shouldn't let it pass. We don't let things pass just because we don't feel right, just because we don't think things are right. We should only let it pass when we realize we're in rebellion and the session has confronted us because we're unwilling to change that rebellion. And we would call that the hardness of the heart. Otherwise, we ask you to commune, to do as the disciples would do and simply say, Lord, increase my faith. Soften my heart, assure me of your grace, and let me commune. So I'm going to ask if the gentleman would come and help. I think Dale was going to come, Sean's going to come, the two elders. As they come to help this morning, we're going to stand together, or not stand, we're going to remain seated, I'm sorry, and sing together. It's in your bulletin hymn number, is it 253, what is it? Well, I don't know, 253, if you'll just turn right there. We're going to sing the first stanza. And then we're going to pass out, and while we pass out, we'll sing the next two, and then we'll take, and then while we pass out, we'll sing the last two. But let's begin this morning as we prepare our hearts, as we get the table ready to sing the first stanza of that hymn.
we pass that out, let's take a moment together. We'll sing the next two stanzas as they pass this out this morning. Let's sing as they pass it out. Go ahead. they finish passing it out, let me read to you what Paul begins to write to us when he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. Take a moment and pray in your heart as we prepare to take. It was there that he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead. As they begin to pass this out, I ask that you'd please take one of the cups, carefully hold it, and we'll sing the next two stanzas, the last two, together as they pass it out of hymn 253.
If you would just listen as they finish passing it out and come forward. It says in Hebrews, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of those things itself, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year make those who approach perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, You have not desired sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in the whole burnt offerings and the offerings for sin. And I said, Behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book to do your will. Oh God. It was after the supper that he took the drink and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Let me lead us in prayer and then we'll take up the offering from here. Heavenly Father, thank you that you would send your son, that you would give him a body and that he would come and do your will. For the law that could not perfect us, for the works of our own that could not help us reach you. You put it all, covered it all, and closed the gap, and you dressed us in the righteousness we needed to spend eternity with you. You forgave us our sins. You took our place on the cross, and you now give us a life of obedience. Help us be a lick of sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At this time, let's take up our offering. If you receive the benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day.